Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is December 6th, 2023. We continue our series, Words for Life, and today's word is hope. And with that, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Today is the beginning of Advent. And we celebrate the coming of Christ. And with that, the emphasis of Advent today is hope. And that is our word for the day. So let's just jump right into this. So how often do we find ourselves in trouble? Are we willing to face our problems regardless of what they are? Or do we cry out, but then we don't see any change? Trouble can come from various places. You know, we may find ourselves in trouble because of our own doing. You know, something like disobedience, negligence, arrogance. Or sometimes maybe trouble just falls upon you. It, it, it comes to you for absolutely no reason at all, but it is there. And once you get in trouble, you often develop Feelings that begin to overpower or control your life. You may feel isolated, maybe desperate. You know, these feelings of isolation and desperation, they're not unique to anyone. In times of trouble, we often, we feel alone without any hope at all. And we can cry out for deliverance, but then nothing seems to change. And when nothing changes after our prayers, we begin to wonder, Does God really care? Is there really anything he can do about it? Maybe you found yourself in one of these positions, alone, desperate, because of the trouble that's over your head. Maybe it's from a relationship. Maybe it's just from paying bills. But no matter what it is, today's word is hope, and we're going to speak to you. Now, Before we jump into our scriptures, I like to make a little bit of context, cultural understanding. And we need to understand that in the Old Testament, to be saved or to have salvation meant being rescued or delivered. And that's important because today when we say to be saved or salvation, we think of uh, a spiritual saving from our sin, Jesus down on the cross. But in the Old Testament, it wasn't a spiritual idea. It was a literal, someone is going to rescue me out of this situation. Someone is going to deliver me. That's why they believed that the Messiah, when he was going to come and save them, would be a rescue and a deliverance. He would destroy their enemies. They didn't realize their enemy was sin. They they put it on people. And so, with that understanding... I also want us to understand that 
there are many times in the Old Testament God's people are taken into captivity, whether it's in the times of the judges with the Philistines or the Midianites or whatever, or in the ultimately when their whole nation was destroyed and taken away by the Assyrians or the Babylonians. Um, even when they came back to their land, the Romans held them in captivity. And so understand that when these people in captivity, it was at least a generation, if not longer, that people were in these captivities. This was years and years that they would cry out for salvation, someone to come rescue them and deliver them. Think about that. If it took 10 years for God to bring deliverance and you were in year one crying out, by year three or four, don't you think you might feel a little hopeless? Like maybe God's not listening? Maybe you'd even begin to believe that God's not powerful enough. And ultimately, if there is a God, he doesn't care. I believe there are many Christians in this place today. They they have found themselves in trouble regardless of why it fell on them. I'm not going to sit here and point fingers about sin or what. Sometimes it just happens. Let's forget the reasons why. You're just there. When you're there, you're there. You don't care. You want to be delivered. This message of hope today is for you. And we're going to start off with Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9. It reads, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down. The mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by ear, nor I has seen any God besides you, who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind. They have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter, and we are the work of your hand. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember the iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we all are your people. So here we have in this Isaiah passage, and again, keep that cultural definition of salvation in mind, this rescuing and deliverance, because that's what Isaiah was crying out for. That was his intention. It's for God to come and deliver them in power. But they have a problem. Their problem is sin, and sin is in their camp. In other words, they have done these things to themselves that have brought them to this place. So their situation, he's he's admitting, we've done sin. We have sought out other gods, false idols, corruption, evil, whatever. And now we find ourselves in this position where we have made God our enemy because of our sin. God is now against us. 
And he doesn't know how God can save them from that. Because a righteous God who they have basically assaulted through their sin is in the right to do something about it. Or at the very least, let them have their consequences. And yet he ends this passage with hope, with this we are all your people. You see, we may have issues, we may have points where we do things wrong, where we abandon God, where we get ourselves in trouble. But God doesn't change. God never changes. And because he doesn't change, when he's called you and I his child, we're his people and we need him. We need to be saved. And so he's crying out. And now notice in this passage, like in the very beginning, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down. The mountains might shake at your presence. The nations may tremble at your presence. You did awesome things. Um, he's asking God to actually rip open the sky and come down because they need to be saved. The sin they have done has put them in such a terrible spot. That's what they need. But because of what they've done, he doesn't know it's possible. But he's clinging to hope. He's clinging to, you're our father. Where else can we go? You've created us. We're, We're yours. We have nothing else but you. That is his cry. Let's look at our next passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. It says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Even as a testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short of no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, here we are, we're in trouble. Maybe we feel like, Isaiah, we, we're in trouble, God. Maybe even we deserve it. We've done these things, and we see no way out. But we're clinging to this little bit of hope that we are yours, and we know what we need. And here's the word coming out of Corinthians to us. Grace and peace from God to you. To you is given grace and peace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It means unearned favor. It means you didn't do anything to deserve it. You can just be a scoundrel. And he gave you his favor. And he gave you his peace. When you're in trouble, when it's all coming down on you, to have the peace of God come upon you, And the favor of God that says, I'll take care of it. It'll be okay. This is the word that God's given in Corinthians. Grace and peace to you. And he says, I thank God always concerning you, for you. Why? Because the grace of God is given to you by Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ has given you his grace. You didn't earn it. You're in trouble. 
you were in trouble and you're stacked up to your eyeballs. You don't know how you're going to get out of it. Well, guess what? Jesus says, I don't care what you've done. I'm going to shine my face upon you. I'm going to give you my smile. I'm going to give you my peace. I'm going to give you my attention. I'm going to give you my love. This is the grace that is given to us by Jesus so that we can be enriched in everything by him and in all utterance and in all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. And this is where I, I really felt led that I wanted to talk about here is this portion. The testimony of Christ. What is the testimony of Christ? The testimony of Christ is that God became flesh and blood, and dwelt among us. That he went to the cross for our sins and died, was buried and rose again, so that you and I might be forgiven. Our sins paid for. That is the testimony of Christ. Here we are in the Christmas season. And what is that? We're celebrating the birth of Christ. God became flesh and dwelt among us. See, this is the testimony of Christ. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. It is his testimony. And it is confirmed in you. How is his testimony confirmed in you? It's confirmed in you because you become a new creation. You're a new creature. You've been born again. You are no longer the same. You've been purchased by God. You are now free from sin. How is this confirmation of Christ's life? It's confirmed in us, not outside us. It didn't say even as a testimony of Christ is confirmed on the outside of you. No, it's in you. So that you come short and no gift. The Spirit of God is moving in you. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ? The revelation is when Jesus Christ comes back. It is the return when we see Jesus as he is in full glory. When we receive our new heavenly bodies, we will never we don't grow old. We, we get these perfect bodies without sin. We, uh, he, he's, it's the second coming in heaven. It's, it's all that, that good stuff. That is at the revelation of the Lord. See, we're waiting for that. And while we're waiting, there's no gifts that we're sure of. Why? Because Christ is being confirmed in us. What's being confirmed? The testimony. Listen, there's something powerful here I want you to see. The change that we need to see when you're in trouble begins inside you. When we cry out to God, Father, forgive me, I'm in trouble. It doesn't matter how we got here, we're in trouble. So we're going to confess that to the Lord. Lord, I, I'm in trouble. And if you did it and you know why you did it, you confess that to him. If you don't know why, it's okay. Tell him you don't know why. The part of confession is becoming real and honest and open to him. And you come to him 
and he listens to your confession. He hears you. It says that we will confess. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So the work of Jesus is inside of us. And that testimony gets confirmed. Why? Because we begin to change. See, the change begins inside of us. And like we're eagerly waiting the revelation. See, the revelation is the manifestation of Jesus in this world. See, we're talking about the revelation Jesus is going to ultimately manifest in him physically coming back to this world, our world here, where every knee will bow. Where when he steps on the Mount of Olives, it says it's going to split in half. Awesome things. The whole world's going to witness this. Listen. That manifestation, when you're in trouble and you need change and then you pray and you don't see it on the outside, guess what? You're not supposed to. It's supposed to start in you. The change begins in you. And then it begins to manifest. The revelation begins to change you. In other words, people begin to look at you and they're beginning to see the new creature, the new creation that begins to come out because you are being transformed. Can you see the work of Jesus in your life? Is he changing you? Is he transforming you? See, our deliverance, our rescuing, our salvation, it manifests in the world around us after the transformation of salvation happens inside of us. In other words, in Jesus' days, he didn't ask the prostitutes to clean themselves up and become virgins and then come to him. He didn't ask the tax collectors to give all the money back, clean themselves up, go to temple, purify themselves, and then once they've done all the right things and they're walking in the ways of, of Judaism to, to come to him. No, he, he told them to believe in him and come to him. He forgave them. The, they became transformed by coming to him first. And then over time, he so transformed them that when people met them later, they could no longer tell what they were previously. I have had many guys in my life since I've gotten saved that have looked at me, especially when I'm doing youth or college ministry, and they'll call me, you're like a goody two-shoes. You've never done anything evil in your life. I had one guy that's like, going, I had no idea of the evils of the world. I, I was just so pure. And I laughed because he's seeing the testimony of Christ in my life. I was a terrible sinner. I had a mouth that was filthy. My wife knew me as an unbeliever and she wanted nothing to do with me. I was not a good person. I was a good liar and manipulator. I was evil. And then I met Jesus and he changed me. And so here I am years later in ministry and I have these guys say this and I start laughing because they are now testifying to the fact that Jesus Christ changed a person. And because he changed me, that began to manifest on the outside. And then as that, that happened, God changed my outward circumstances. He did. There were things around my life. When I instantly got saved, it wasn't like everything on the outside of me became perfect. 
I had bad relationships. I had bad thinking. They had consequences. I had, I owned bad stuff. You know, I had to, I had to get rid of things I owned. I guarantee you my relationships had to change. Things I did had to change. Some of that took time, but the, it doesn't all have to be instant. But the fact of the matter is Jesus was changing me. And as he did, those outward circumstances changed. I didn't always notice it, but I'll look back years later. It's incredible. The change is Jesus changing you. Let's look at our last passage in Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. It says, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in, excuse me, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds and from the farthest parts of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches are already become tender and put forth leaves, you know the summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, least coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Jesus is coming. Oh, he's coming in great power. And here we are at this point, looking at this prophetic future coming of Jesus, and it's the fulfillment of Isaiah. Isaiah was crying out, Oh Lord, would you rend the heavens and come down? Would you make the mountains shake at your presence? Would you make your enemies know you did awesome things for us? This is Isaiah's prayer being fulfilled. Jesus is going to come in power. The sun, the moon, the stars, all the heavens will be shaken. Great glory and power, angels, the farthest part of the earth, the farthest part of heavens. See, Jesus is going to, he answered Isaiah. The hope of Isaiah is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus returning. He's going to return. And for us, there are some troubles on the outside, our outside circumstances, that ultimately need Jesus to return to fix. And we have this hope. Whether it's in this lifetime we're living now, or when we die, and we, when we die, we're going to see Jesus immediately. So you and I are going to see him at some point when we die or earlier. But it's going to happen. Now, this passage here says in verse 32 that we do not know the day or the hour. But then Jesus gives us a parable. 
we need to see this parable because not only is parable applicable to the end of the age, but it's also got some application for us in living our everyday life. And I want us to look at it because the parables of the fig tree. And it says, when the branches have become tender and put forth leaves, know that summer is near. And you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Let's put this in the context of what he's talking about. He's talking about a fig tree coming back to life. Now, what do I mean by coming back to life? Listen, in the winter, I actually have a fig tree, and it goes dormant in the winter. It, quote, dies in the winter. If I went out there in the winter, there's no leaves on it. It looks dead. If I take a branch, I can snap it. It's brittle. It snaps. It's dry. It burns really easy. And I burn some fig. It burns fast and hot. You know, it looks pretty dead. I've even seen some figs that you can almost cut them down to the nub. It looks dead. Then the spring comes. Things warm up. And this life comes up out of the ground. And it becomes alive. Now, at first, you don't see it. This sap begins to run in it. And you don't see it, but you... At some point, you can come up to a branch and you go to snap it off and it doesn't snap anymore. It bends. It's got lots of flexibility in its bends. And if you work and twist and you, you do manage to break it or you cut it off, you see the inside is green. Figs, they have a, a white, milky latex type of sap. And it just begins to flow out like blood. It's bleeding white sap, white, white latex. And the tree's alive. And, and, and eventually, it begins to put little buds. It begins to shoot new green stems. Leaves begin to form. It begins to come back to life. It's, it's alive. It's living. And then it moves into summer. And it, oh, it's full of leaves. It's full of life. And the leaves get really big. And they're very flexible. And then from those leaves in the summer, it begins to put forth these little nubs, these little fruit that eventually in the fall become figs. And in the fall, you have the harvest and you pick them. Now, when does the fall happen? You know, today we have dates. You know, the fall officially starts, what, September 22nd or whatever it is. It's in ancient calendars. They didn't, they didn't have that. There wasn't like some official regulated. This is the first day of fall. To them, the fall began when they started the harvest. When they started the harvest, fall was there. When they finished the harvest and there was nothing left on the plant. Now we're ready for winter and the plant dies and it goes into its dormancy of winter. It's gone. The beginning of harvest was the fall. So when you read this parable, understanding this thing, when the branches become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near because you're in the spring. It's putting forth leaves. It's putting forth buds. You're in the spring. And you know that if you're in the spring, that summer is near. Now, what happens in the summer? It's hot. Things get dehydrated. If you're a farmer, this is the, this is the work season is in the summer. You have to try to keep your plants hydrated. You're picking out rocks and bugs and you're just trying to maintain it. You're trying to keep everything alive and healthy until the harvest. 
As far as a farmer's concerned, summer is the trouble. Springtime, you planting and everything coming up and like that's all wonderful. The summer is trouble. The summer is work. Harvest is awesome. Know that the summer is near. So also when you see these things happening, know that know that it is near at the doors. And of course, when it's talking about the coming of Jesus, assuredly say to you this generation by no means pass away, these things take place. What things? Well, let's talk about the return of the Lord. See, the, the, the parable here is the return of the Lord is that we can't know the day or the hour when Jesus will return. We don't know. And when he returns, that's the harvest, when he harvests his people. We don't know when that first day of harvest is. We don't know when the harvest is going to happen. But we can know the seasons. We can know the summer. We can know the spring. The summer is the hard part. We're waiting for the harvest. We're trying to get through things. But no, when you know you're there, when you know you, there's so much about tribulation that's going to come upon the world. Listen, tribulation is like the heat of the summer for a plant. I live in El, I live in El Paso, Texas. I live in the Chihuahuan Desert. If I, I grow some things, I've got some little raised garden beds in my backyard. If I don't water and care for them in the summer, the, the desert sun here will cook the plants. They will fry. Their leaves literally turn brown and they dry up and shrivel. Now we have lots of sun and there's lots of heat. If I can, if I can keep everything watered and hydrated and some plants, I even need to put up some shade for them. Um, plants that are supposed to take full, full sun. We have to be careful with because even they can get burnt with the sun. But if we take care of them, they'll grow and they'll prosper. It's work. It's a lot of work. It's trouble. But guess what? At some point they're going to bear fruit. And then at some point that fruit's going to be ready to harvest. Listen, in our lives, there's, we have to have hope. The, the hope is what? Can you see this season you're in? You're in trouble. You're crying out to the Lord. Is Jesus changing you? Can you see the testimony of Jesus inside you? Is he transforming you? Are you growing? Because if you are, you're ready. You're ready for that day. It says here, what's the warning for this? To be ready for the harvest, to be ready for when he returns. It says, take heed, watch and pray. See the three things. Take heed. What does that mean? It means listen, pay attention. Be alert. Watch. Be awake. Don't be asleep. Don't be apathetic. Not caring. And pray. Talk to the Lord. Work on your relationship with the Lord. If you do these things, you have hope. You have a hope in the trouble. Because on the outside, you may not see change. But guess what? Your day of deliverance, the day of harvest is coming. Not just in the second coming, but in our daily walks. In the daily things we strive in. This parable can be applied. There's a lot of little tribulations we go through. And there's little days of the Lord. There's, there's these little days when God visits us. We have the appointed days when God just shows up and does miracles for us. And he brings us through things. And sometimes it may take days, weeks, months, or years to see those things. But guess what? It will happen. In due season... That's called a Kairos moment. In due season, God will bring these things. So this Christmas, we're celebrating the first coming of Christ, but we're also supposed to prepare ourselves for his second. 
I want to encourage you. Take heed. Watch and pray. No matter what circumstances you're in, hope is coming. He will fulfill His promise to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You love us. That You do care for us. That God, even when we can't see things changing on the outside, You're at work inside us. Lord Jesus, I pray that all of us would be transformed by You. That Your transforming power would be upon us, God. And that it would manifest in our lives. Lord, we thank You for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast. You can hear other of our teachings on lots of different platforms. You can check that out at our website at www.christianimpact.net. And until next time, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.